what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of an interview process to start here and um, just some questions so you get to know them a little bit. And uh, they do have a display that is set up back here. They will also be down at the uh, uh, ICOM in just a couple of short weeks. So um, I just want to, we're going to ask them some questions and allow them just to answer a little bit. So tell us about yourselves. I'm Tim. I'm Tammy. <laughs> Okay, so we've established this is Tim and thank, Tammy. Thank you, thank you. Um, so where are you guys from? Uh, so originally, I'm from Minnesota. Go Vikings. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. Okay. Uh, so I, well, actually, I expect to cheer too. I'm from Oregon. Is somebody going to cheer for me? Okay, thanks. <laughs> no ducks. Uh, yeah. No, it's go ducks, not no ducks. Yeah, not what they did uh, to us. yeah, I, I know about Sorry. that. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm from Minnesota. We met in Oregon after I uh, was a short-term missionary in Japan for almost a year, and we've lived in Arizona and East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia. Uh, we were actually here in Falmouth for almost two years while we were raising support. So our our history with this church goes back to 1992, August. So basically from the beginning of this church. So that's really awesome. So um, we know you guys are from England or in England now. Yep. Why did you choose England? Um, partly because of the, the nature of the church or the lack thereof in England. And also because we, we committed to work with CMF International. They work in teams and they recommended that our skill set and our abilities and talents would blend really well in England. And so that's one of the reasons we chose. Yeah, we also thought about some of the changes that are happening in Europe in terms of the church, uh, that there'd be some things we could learn that we could bring back to the United States with us and be able to share. And I think part of what we're, I'm going to be sharing the preaching time is part of that lesson that we've learned, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So tell us about the work over there. So we have three focus areas. Uh, one is a, what we call a missional community called Companions for Hope that we started. Uh, I should say that uh, we planted a church uh, in a kind of suburban area, okay. uh, pretty much middle class, kind of upper middle class, uh, monocultural. Uh, planted the church there. Um, then we planted another simple form of church. And, uh, and then six years ago, we moved into the inner city of Birmingham. And it's pronounced Birmingham. Because Birmingham's in Alabama. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not really sorry, but uh, so uh, and uh, six years ago, really, God was the one that kind of pushed us into the inner city because it's a very different place. And uh, when Tammy first volunteered. In a school. Yep, I volunteered for us at a school in there for the first two years that we lived there, and there were 245 students in that school, and there were 44 different languages spoken. Um, our area is one of those where the home office places a lot of asylum seekers and refugees, and so we have a mass influx of people from a number of different countries. So into this kind of super diverse, well, elements of a super diverse are certainly multicultural with over 150 countries represented out of 190-some youth. How many countries in the world? A lot. <laughs> Good call. I think, I think it's 195, 195-ish, and uh, about 153, 54 represented um, in the area where we live, inner city. And uh, so we started with some friends, a missional community that we call Companions for Hope, and we're stuck in the neighborhood. Uh, Second thing is? 
Uh, we are part of a team that trains missionaries, actually. It's called Equip Britain, and so we have a 10-month immersive experience for people who feel a call to mission um, and global outreach but aren't completely convinced that that's what they're supposed to do. So we, we, we provide a safe environment for them to engage in mission activity and disciple-making in our, in our neighborhood in Birmingham. And we've trained 13 people in cross-cultural ministry and in a holistic discipleship process and, and particularly about disciple-making movements, practices and principles. And 12 of those are either on the field someplace or in the process. Awesome, awesome. So tell us a little bit about just some of the adventures you've had. Here or in England? <laughs> yes. Well, okay. So you've been back for how long? Just, just recently, how many miles have you guys traveled? Just over 9,000 since the 22nd of August. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so we're, we're, we've been on the field 27 years. Okay. Uh, affiliated with a mission organization. It'll be 30 years in December. Okay. So we, we're in that place where we've got supporters and friends all over the United States. Oh, so sure. part of what we did in our traveling was to see a lot of those folks we hadn't seen 15 and 20 years. Okay. Yeah. But, but adventures on the field are, are plenty. Just learning to live in a multicultural environment. I'm, I come back to the question usually. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> Tim uh, like so rabbit I have, I have trails quick answer over your here. Yes. So, so a couple of years ago, I was walking um, from praying with a friend, um, part of our companions team, and uh, there's this woman in front of me, so I went to walk past her. It was about 9.30 at night. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, women don't like it when men are walking behind them. So I went to go past her, and as I went past her, I said, uh, it's a nice evening, isn't it? She said, yes, it is. Would you like some business? And I said, I, said, I don't know what that means. And she said, would you like some sex? And I said, actually, I'm happily married, and look, here's my house. <laughs> it was not quite that, but I, I was propositioned pretty much on our front doorstep. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's an adventure. <laughs> yes. That, that, it yes. stopped right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the story you were expecting. Is no, it, it wasn't. So um, this one time I was witnessing and... No. <laughs> okay. So inner city. That uh, one did yeah. start with prayer, though, just so I, you remember that he yes. was praying before yes. that happened. And, um, uh, I meant to say, there's a third thing that we do, besides okay. Companions for Hope yes. and Equip Britain. We actually have this, what we call, Dispersed Discipleship Group. Okay. And this actually is a highlight, an adventure, if you will, because uh, there are some of the youth from the church we planted, Dickens Heath Church, as they grew and scattered about, well, we started discipling them. Okay. And uh, so it's resulted in a group of about a dozen people we're discipling, and it's all online. And uh, in August, we baptized one of those um, a woman from Senegal, of all places, and uh, it was only the second time we'd ever met her. Wow. That's awesome. So what's does that fit adventure yes, a little does. bit better? Yes, okay. <laughs> so what's the future hold for you guys? Um, one of the things that the church could be praying for for us is that we want to increase what we're doing. We want fruitful, fruitfulness in our ministry. So we would like to, to grow the relationships that we have so that the, the, in, uh, the Bible studies and things that we're doing to disciple can be expanded. Yeah. yeah so the next challenge is for companions, for uh, equip, and for uh, our dispersed selfish group is about multiplication. That's, that's the challenge, and that's the praying about. But it also has to do with being a disciple worth multiplying. Absolutely. So before we get into the message, how can we pray for you guys? 
I, th I think those those two things that's for yeah, our, for right our that's but for our okay. travels. Uh, God has already been gracious. He protected us on a in a, on the road already once. We had a tire of a of a caravan or a, a motorhome motor that we were passing. The front left tire blew out just as we were passing it, and they were veering toward us. And God kept everybody in that situation safe. So we already know that He's out there d doing what He's promised to do. But for continued travel yeah. mercies, we would be. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, um, we're going to get into the message. We're going to pray, and uh, then Tim's going to bring the message. I, again, I encourage you, you can hang out at the booth afterwards and talk with them. If you want more information, there's a, um, that you can sign up to receive the, the, player, the prayer flash that uh, they send out. Um, and, and then also, again, if you go down to ICOM, you're going to be able to, to, to hang out with them down there and talk with them. So let's pray for uh, Tim and Tammy, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Gracious Father, we are so blessed to be able to have these missionaries with us. And, and Father, to hear what is happening and the exciting things that are going on in the mission field is, is truly uh, what we all need to hear, that we can be a, a part of that. And, and Father, we all need the, uh, discipleship. And so, Father, I ask that uh, as we hear the message that Tim is going to bring this morning, that, that we, we, we take this uh, into our hearts, into our souls, and that we will put it into action, Father, that discipleship will continue to happen through Tim and Tammy and as they uh, just continue to multiply and, and to bring people to Christ, that they can go and then share the gospel message with others as well. Again, I just ask a, a blessing upon the message uh, that your spirit will be upon Tim and upon on uh, this congregation as we hear your words. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Um, one of the reasons we like to come and be with supporting churches is to say thank you. So for 29 years of relationship with this church, we're, we're grateful, and we're grateful for the, the support you give us and uh, for being a part of our lives, even though many of you are new. I mean, who was here 29 years ago when the church started? Anybody? That's funny. <laughs> uh, uh, we, um, I want to say something about lunch today, that um, we are free for lunch. Uh, I know we're having a meal with Travis and Teresa on this way. <laughs> I suppose you want me to start smiling too. Hey, everyone online. Um, and uh, so I was gonna say, uh, if anybody wants to have lunch with us to talk about anything that I say today, would love to do that. Um, Travis, I mentioned to Teresa, we're having a meal with you on Tuesday night. Found out that you actually hadn't talked to her about that yet. <laughs> Flowers might be in order, okay? <laughs> so we got the PowerPoint up and ready to go. We got the PowerPoint up and ready to go. It's coming on, okay? Um, there we go, okay. So here's a basic question about that Tammy and I are processing as part of what we do in England. And um, can anybody find in the Bible, New Testament, a command to plant churches? Amen. No, there's a question. There's a question. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a command in the New Testament to plant churches? Okay, you're, 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 you're going the direction I want to go, but there is no literal command from Jesus to plant churches. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? 
What he did say was, go and make disciples. There's a command to make disciples. That's when you make disciples, the church comes into being. So, uh, but are we being fruitful at that? And uh, uh, there we go. Let's, uh, can you go to the, uh, the fourth slide, please? So as, as we've been thinking about uh, the effects of COVID, I'm sure that you're reflecting on it too and how it's impacted you and your lives and society and culture. Uh, somebody wrote this and said about what they've observed. Said when, when, the, when COVID first hit, it disrupted our activity as churches in the U.S. But as it's gone on over a period of time, it's disrupted, disrupted our structure. So there's this, this sense that church can't simply be the way it was before in the form it was before. And, and then it went on to ask a question. And the question is this. Will it disrupt the way we measure fruitfulness by moving from measuring the numbers of seats, number of bums on seats, to number of disciples mobilized in the mission? Now, which number is more important to measure the number of people on the chairs here or the number of disciples mobilized in the mission? As disciples. And, uh, and, and even to uh, think about it in terms of multiplication. Uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. How many generations are represented there? There's Paul, there's, so I'm not talking about generations in terms of age. I'm talking about generations in terms of disciples. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's reliable leaders, men, the church, who do what? Who teach others. So there's four generations represented there. And if we started measuring our effectiveness by that kinds of measurement, what would look different about the way that we do or our church? So we've been thinking about this, uh, and I think we can learn about discipleship from Jesus, about what it means to be a master disciple maker, of, of the kind of person who selected the 12, who prayed over them, and who poured into them the kind of way that even though some left, as it says in John 8, when they heard some of his teaching and the way he was leading them, went away and there were that group that said to whom shall we go we you have the words of what come on brother eternal you have the words of eternal life to whom else shall we go and the fact that we're here today is a legacy of jesus pouring into the life of those 12 right we are like the umpteenth generation of disciples that jesus started with the 12 right so, what kind of disciple are we? And the question is, are we fruitful? Uh, and my plea, my plea with you is to be a disciple worth multiplying and to make disciples. And so, John 15, if you have your Bibles, it doesn't make any difference what version or translation, it is gonna be on the screen. Uh, I'm reading from the message paraphrase because I like some of the language that Eugene Peterson uses. It says this, I'm the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch cannot bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine 
you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. Next one. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. I like the way the NIV puts it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who separates from me is deadwood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So one of the things that we do in Equip Britain when we've had this kind of holistic discipleship process that we're, that we're helping these future missionaries um, uh, learn and take on into their lives is we talk about doing and being. And uh, Karen, that's the next slide if you would. So I'm not sure how well you can see this, um, especially if you're way back, but this little graphic we put together because I'm a person who struggles with doing and being. Uh, I, I over the course of my early life, and still struggle with, define my identity by what I do. Uh, You know, the very common question when men meet for the first time is, hi, I'm so-and-so, what do you do? As if that suddenly somehow defines who we are. But the question is, what does it mean to be made in God's image? What does it mean to be human? And the center question at that is, where do you find your identity in what you do or who you are or the person God created you to be? And the problem with not thinking about this kind of question is that we end up defining our identity by what culture and society says about who we are and and how we fit as a functional piece or a cog in the wheel in society, right? What do you do? Well, if you don't do something meaningful, as our society defines it, then what value are you? Do do you get where that leads? So, uh, that means we need to think a bit about the kingdom of heaven and the kind of values and the kind of life that Jesus wants us to experience and to live in and, and experience him as truth. So, these words, Matthew 4, 17 to 23. I keep looking up there thinking it's gonna be on that screen and it's not. Um, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are the first words of Jesus in his public ministry. Now just a little bit before that in Matthew's gospel, John the Baptist's first words of proclamation are what? Exactly. John the Baptist's first words of public ministry were repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, as come and be discipled by me, and then I will send you out to be fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming what? The good news of the kingdom. Now, if you look at Uh, Matthew's gospel in my Bible and you start reading it through you'll see that I've circled every instance where it talks about the kingdom of heaven and it's found in Matthew's gospel about uh, is it 55 or 72 times Uh, I should have that memorized but I don't the point is it is happens over and over and over again where this conversation about the kingdom and in fact Matthew 13 and other 
uh, chapters have all these parables because the kingdom of heaven cannot be described adequately without a parable. So the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a man looking for a precious treasure uh, and stumbles upon it in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like, and there's truths about that and the nature of that kingdom that can't be taught except by parables. So my point is this, that we need to understand the kingdom of heaven. And, and what uh, one writer, Dallas Willard, and that's the next slide, Karen, if you would, has said about this is this. The impotence of systems, and this is a little bit heady, okay? I understand that, but let me get to the point of it. The impetus of systems is a main reason why Jesus did not send his students, that is apprentices, his disciples, out to start governments or even churches as we know them today, which always strongly convey some elements of a human system. So what kind of world did Jesus come into? It was a place with all these systems. You had 612 laws you had to obey. The, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish history had put all this oral tradition around the law so, so that we wouldn't even um, damage the hedge or cross the hedge in case we might actually break the law. And these systems became a, a place of power and control, uh, a place of figuring out your status in society. We keep these laws, therefore you who don't, we're, we're better than you. And so they were instead to establish beachheads of, this per, of his person, his word and power in the midst of a falling, sorry, a failing and futile humanity. They were to bring the presence of the kingdom and its king to every corner of human life by fully living in the kingdom with him. Translation. Uh, Alan Hirsch writes about the Jesus sneeze, uh, that there's something about being so full of Jesus that when, you, when a person sneezes, it just spreads Jesus. Yeah? Uh, another writer talks about being missional or being a disciple where you live, where you work, and you play. There is no separation between sacred and secular for a follower of Jesus because your disciple, wherever you go, uh, the way I like to pray about it when I'm praying for people is that uh, somehow when, when you're in your workplace or where you're in your uh, schooling, uh, where you are in youth activities, soccer or, oh, I can't believe I said that. The proper word is football. <laughs> As a, compared to American football, okay? But when you're living out the life follower of Jesus, that Jesus just somehow leaks out everywhere. And it's not artificial, it's not contrived, it's just who you are. So, so let me lean a little bit more into that um, by talking about Jesus and his discipleship. So this verse from Hebrews, and uh, you, you, you probably haven't noticed this verse, uh, but here's right of Hebrews, talking about Jesus and the sacrifice, he, he traces a bit back to Melchizedek, Melchizedek, a priest in the Old Testament, but he says this, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, I, again, I like the message, um, paraphrase. Though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by what he suffered, just as we do. Then having arrived at the full stature of his maturity and having been announced by God as high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believingly obey him. 
So just think about the couple of statements that Jesus said about himself. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So there's this, there's this ongoing intimate relationship that Jesus has with his father while he's in human form. And he learned obedience without ever being disobedient. Now think about that. He learned obedience without ever being disobedient. So it may be that Jesus has something to say to us about being discipled by him because of his relationship with the father. And this is where Matthew 28, 18, 28, 18 comes into play. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why? Because he learned obedience by the things he suffered without ever being disobedient. And with that kind of, of uh, passion for the Father and the Father's will, uh, he has some things to say to us, and that's where we do get the command to make disciples. And the act of command in this verse is not the go. The assumption is already there that you're going to go, but to make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to observe. observe is one way to put it. Obey everything I commanded, and I'll be with you always. So, in, in our teaching, in our discipleship, is, are we, are we discipling people in such a way that, that obedience is an option? So, next slide, Karen. Back one. There you go. We have to think about discipleship as loving obedience to Jesus. We have to think about it this way. Because if we think about it in terms of knowledge and what we know about the Bible, then there's something short in a discipleship. I am, I am more concerned when we're discipling people that if they know just this much of a Bible passage, and they hear the voice of Jesus in that, and then does what he asks, I celebrate that more, and I'm, I'm sorry if this offends anybody, I celebrate that more than the person who's got the Bible virtually memorized, but doesn't do anything with it. Now, I have a lot to say about that, but we don't have time, and um, let me just paint it in a picture of, of um, Gary Chapman's love languages. How many of you have heard of these love languages? Yeah. You've probably done something in a church with these at some point in time. If you're not familiar with it, you can go online, just do Gary Chapman Love Languages, and you'll get your own little questionnaire that you can do. Some years ago, uh, I did this, and I found out that my top love language is quality time and physical touch. And when Tammy did hers, woohoo, quality time and uh, physical touch. Love it. It's very useful for me to know the primary love language in which I experience being loved by another. But in the spheres of relationships, and especially with my wife, it's better that I know her love language so that Tammy knows that I love her. Amen. Okay? And it's measured by following up on doing something. So I may know something. Well, when I first met Tammy, her first words to me were, Hi. My name is Tammy, your name is Janet, sit there. I was knocking on her door, 
It was a back to school, uh, back to university party that she and her flatmates were hosting. That was the first words. Okay. I know her name. <laughs> later on, I got to know more about her. And then later on, I, I got to know that, that she carries tension in a spot in her back. That's nice to know, isn't it? It only means something if I take that bit of knowledge and actually rub that spot in her back so that tension is relieved, okay? You see the application here? I don't think I need to paint that picture anymore. So, discipleship, next slide. Discipleship as loving obedience is God's love language. How does the Father, how does Jesus, how does the Holy Spirit know that you love Father, Son, and Spirit when you take action on what you know? Does that make sense? Now, I like to use the word loving obedience because if we just kind of paint it obedience, then it doesn't really give all the the kind of nuances that we want to have in thinking about discipleship. But sum it up in this little phrase from Dallas Willard is this. A disciple is who Jesus would be if he were you. A disciple is who Jesus would be if he were you. Where you live, where you work, where you play. Because he's the king and you've been brought into the kingdom Wherever you go, the kingdom of heaven goes. Could that potentially change the way that you go into the workplace? To change the way you relate to students that you're teaching? Change the way you play football on the field? Change the way you play American football on the field? (laughs) Yeah? So, but Dallas Willard says, goes on to say this. We know that we must, instead of just trying to obey, find a way to become the kind of person who does easily and routinely what Jesus said, but does it without having to think much about it, if at all. So you can see why Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, says, you've heard it say, Matthew 5 to 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, because there's all this teaching, I think it's about seven times he says that in in Matthew 5 to 7. Because in all this teaching, it's about uh, you know, what Rabbi so-and-so said, you know, 200 years ago, and very little application um, to personal life, but, and, and, and how they applauded each other as leaders about their praying, about their fasting, and so on. Now, is praying a good thing? What, what are, if I was to say, what are the kind of the classical spiritual disciplines, how would you answer? Prayer would be one, fasting another, what else would you say? Bible study, Yes. Um, being part of a church fellowship, yes. Wor- worship with the church family, yes. Serving, yep. Acts of service. Sabbath, rest. Silence and solitude. Bible reading. Okay. But, but wouldn't it be better if you, instead of just the act of praying, that you're the kind of person who prays? Instead of just acts of compassion, being the kind of person who is compassionate. Instead of just 
attending a worship service, being the kind of person who worships all the time. It's just who you are. Do you get what I'm saying? So that's what we're talking about when we're, we're seeking this kind of discipleship because a disciple says Jesus would be if he were you. This is for the whole church. And make no mistake, you are being discipled. Culture, society is discipling, trying to disciple all of us and to be simply consumers. So we have to be intentional about taking on the life of Jesus and living out the values of the kingdom. And we can't do it in a solitary fashion. We need each other for this. So let, let me kind of wrap this whole up with um, an illustration and some questions. So uh, this slide um, is about two trees. So I don't know how well you can see. Oh, wrong illustration. My pages are in the wrong order. How much time do we have, Travis? I'm good? Okay, all right. So, so I'm gonna make this point um, with these slides. So uh, this is shortly after you moved into the inner city. And uh, the place where we live in Birmingham, uh, when we first moved in, was a tip from the back door to the back fence. Now, for those of you who don't speak English, tip means a junkyard or the dump, okay? Uh, things were overgrown. Uh, the landlord had collected, um, landlord's a great family, by the way, we just love them. Uh, but uh, he'd collected stuff from the neighbors and there were, um, I, it was just a mess. And it took me some months to clear stuff out. And finally got to the point where I just tore up all the grass and I laid new turf. And uh, uh, next slide. And over the years, it's become this. So there were some fruit trees there already. Uh, I planted a couple of roses, I think, uh, some other kinds of flowers, um, watered the grass, and so on. Now, uh, and in fact, that rose, uh, I took a photograph of that um, early this year. This back garden is literally from uh, August, just before we left England. And the rose was the best rose that I'd ever seen in my back garden. Was I responsible for that? Ah, okay. Was I responsible for it? Okay, so I watered, right? I cultivated, I weeded. Uh, uh, sometimes put fertilizer. Sometimes I dug up the soil. But did I make anything grow? I did not. I can't claim any credit for that. I did have to work but I had to cooperate with God in order for those things to grow, but I didn't make them grow. This is what discipleship is. It's about cooperating, next slide. Discipleship is cooperating with Jesus so that we are transformed and more like him. Fruitfulness is making more and better disciples who look and act like Jesus. But I cooperate in my own spiritual journey, in my discipleship. Okay. I'll just pass on to the two trees, if you would, Karen. Uh, uh, these two trees, um, this photograph dates back to 2007. So in 1996, and this is benefits of being older, Tam and I turned 60 this year, so we have a little bit more life experience 
than, well, I don't know, I want to say most people in here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people in here. So, but in, in 1997, we stayed with our friend Peggy on a farm, uh, 200 acres um, in southwest Virginia, just, just the other side of Roanoke in the Salem, Virginia area. Beautiful place. And, uh, and a beautiful uh, a Christian woman, uh, Peggy was. And when we, when we moved in, this tree on the left, uh, which has this, this kind of hole in the middle of it. Do you, do you see that, the hole in the middle of it? Uh, and, and new growth. Well, when, when we got there, it had all these, these branches and the, off the trunk that were just like, and I, and I saw that um, bit in the middle, which is like, it's got a hole in the middle, Peggy. We've got to cut that tree down because that's, that's dangerous. She said, you're not cutting that tree down. I said, Peggy, it's dangerous. She said, you're not cutting that tree down. I said, okay, tell me the story of this tree. She said, well, you have to understand, the reason that it's got this big hole in the middle of it is because generations of children in our family have been trained how to shoot their guns at that tree. It's been part of a generation, a a heritage. And the reason that it's got a hole in the middle is because of all those bullets over the years going through the middle of that tree. I said, okay, can we at least prune it so that one of those branches doesn't come down on the girls, the cows, or on you and your sister Betty. Okay, you can trim it. So I took a chainsaw, went up, cut it. This is 1997. Sorry, 1998. 2007, I come back, and this tree on the right that wasn't there before is now there. And the tree on the left that I pruned back has all this growth on it. I'm going, wow. So I took a picture, and I'm still using it to this day. What can we talk about in terms of the two trees? Next slide. The young tree, strong and green, young and stout. This tree has hope, it has promise, it has future, there's anticipation, there's expectation, there's gonna be fruit from this tree. And, uh, but it doesn't have a lot of stories. It doesn't have a lot of life experience. Uh, and very little shaping by life and circumstances. But the old tree, the old tree, next one, there you go. It's been the brunt of target practice. How many old people here that have been the brunt of target practice? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's been the subject of pruning. It has generations of shaping and stories, and it's like uh, the tree of Psalm 1 planted uh, by streams of living water, and uh, Psalm 52, like an olive tree that in its old age bears fruit, and it has humility and shaping by God. So here's the questions, and these are discipleship questions. If you're a young tree, whose stories and life do you need to hear and take part in? What are you learning about how you are shaped by God and unique contribution to the kingdom? What disciplines, what spiritual disciplines, what disciplines and spiritual disciplines will you cultivate which will help you cooperate with the work of God in you? You'll have to work at it, but it's not about earning because you're already made in God's image. Who will you ask to disciple or mentor you? Old trees, what are your stories? I wish I would have asked my grandfather a lot more questions about his early life. I wish I could get him to talk when I asked him questions. He was from that generation that didn't share stories. 
What pot shots have you taken? What shaping by God have you experienced? How has God been pruning you? What new growth can you hope for and anticipate? And with whom are you sharing this life and these lessons by intentionally discipling? Do you see where I'm getting here? Uh, as, as a church family, we have to think about how we're pouring into each other's lives, young into old, old into young. And you have to be intentional about it because our society has another agenda. Final questions for you to consider. Are you experiencing fruitfulness as God intended? What are the obstacles if that's not happening? And this is the most basic discipleship question of every leader, of every church member, of everybody that says they love Jesus. What are you hearing Jesus say and what are you acting and doing about it? Who is discipling you and who are you discipling? And is there a need to lean more to the coaching or the mentoring side? Coaching more about the doing side of things, mentoring more about the being side of things. And, and I want to plead with you as a church family. I want to plead with you as an individual follower of Jesus. I want to plead with you as couples who are following Jesus together to ask these questions and with the help of the leadership of this church to lean into that to be discipled and to disciple. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And if you're not starting right here with each other, then asking Tim and Tammy to do it for you on your behalf is not gonna work. Because I don't, I don't live in your context of relationships. I'm not interested in cross-stitch, okay? I like that Tammy cross-stitches and, and knits and all that sort of thing and has influence there, but... I can't get into your context of relationships, so let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, I recognize there's a lot here for people to process. And I, I pray um, for Stafford County Christian Church and for the followers, your followers here, that they would not act on this quickly, but they'll act on it intentionally and deliberately so they are sure of what you're saying to them. We ask that be many more disciples made and multiplied. Not so that we individually get any honor or praise from it, so that you, so that you are honored, you are glorified, that to the to the history of humanity, more and more men and women and young people and children are saying, Jesus, you are Lord, and are bowing the knee to him and him only, who are empowered by your spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, help the, the followers in this church family know how to act and what to do and to do with courage and empowered by your spirit so that you, Father, get the praise. We acknowledge this, this communion we're about to take together this bread and this wine and this bread and this juice represent your body and your blood poured out for us. And it's a gift we don't deserve, but you are full of grace and mercy for us. You look kindly on us and invite us into the life that you lead. Uh, we say we're sorry. Sorry for our disobedience. Sorry for our attitudes of disobedience. Sorry for the way we treat others. Sorry for not being the husbands or the wives or the, the children or the brothers and sisters that we ought to be. And we say to you, help us.
be your people and as a result do better because of what you've done on the cross. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray and celebrate communion. Amen.